0: I always forget when that thing ends. (laughs) It's come a little too early. Well, again, happy Easter. It's uh, great to have you all here this morning. And just a real quick explanation for those who are uh, maybe first-time attenders. Grace Point Church is a campus church of Grace Community Church in Fremont, Ohio. And we just celebrated our our one-year birthday a couple weeks ago. And um, so this is a great time for you to be here. We're just launching uh, this church. And and if you want to get involved in uh, our church family been looking for a different church, um, never been to church before and thought, hey, I'm going to try this church thing out. This is a great place to be, great time to be uh, a part of our church. So uh, we'd love to have you, and um, we're glad you're here this morning. We've been in a series called Public Enemy, and we're we're looking at—we're uh, kind of primarily stuck in the, the gospel of Mark—and we're looking at things that Jesus said and did that caused others to see him as an enemy, as a, a public enemy, public enemy number one. And in Mark chapter 1, we saw that Jesus came on the scene and he made this announcement uh, and it was really more of a a declaration of war and I think we'll have it up on the, the screen. I hope there. He says, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. So Jesus shows up, he makes this announcement, but it's really a declaration of war. It's a declaration of war against sin, Satan, and those who back then thought that Jesus had come to set up his own kingdom. And they were thinking, well, if if Jesus is is here and he's our Messiah, our King, then he's going to help us set up our kingdom, that Israel would be a superpower again. And that's what they were really hoping for, really desiring their Messiah for. But what Jesus was saying was, it's not about an earthly kingdom, it's about a heavenly kingdom, God's kingdom, and it's something that happens inside of a person's heart. It's when we give our lives to God, and we say, I want you to be my ruler. I want you to sit on the throne of my life, and I want you to lead my life, and God's grace and his mercy and his love for us, when we die, he takes us to heaven. That's all found through Jesus Christ. In fact, I didn't put it up on the screen, but uh, Jesus said in Luke, he told the religious leaders, "The kingdom is in your midst." In other words, he's talking about himself—that Jesus is the way into that kingdom, to be a part of that kingdom—and and so he's not a first-century pacifist. He's not, um, you know, another one of these philosophers. Hey, can we just all get along? Can we just love each other? He is the Son of God. He is God in flesh, and he was going to come back and make things happen over his dead body, he was going to bring people to himself and into the kingdom of God. In Mark 2, Jesus continues to upset the religious leaders, uh, which is, if you've read any of the Gospels, this is what Jesus does on a regular basis, because they're so focused on religion and on religious activities, they missed the whole point, and they missed Christ. And so he, uh, he ends up hanging out with who the religious leaders called um, their inferior ones or outcasts. And and Jesus said to them, um, it's not those who are healthy who need a a physician. So he's talking to the religious leaders. It's not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And he's kind of being sarcastic here. It's kind of a tongue-in-cheek reference to the religious leaders. Because the religious leaders and those who believe their way to get to God is through religion or religious activities, apart from Christ, they they can get to God that way, they think they're wrong, but they think that they are spiritually healthy. They think that they are good to go, that they are right with God. And Jesus is trying to tell them that's not the case. You're not healthy, but since you think you are, then what I did is I came to actually call sinners, people who know that they're not right with God, and it's not about a religious thing, it's about a sin problem, it's about this, the fact that I'm separated from God because of my sin, and, that, and I'm spiritually dead because of that, and somebody needs to fix that sin problem, needs to breathe spiritual life back into me, and I can't do it myself. And if, if the religious leaders would have caused, called, uh, considered that and, and understood that, they too could have received that salvation that Christ is talking about in God's kingdom in their life. Last week, we, we um, took a little bit of a tangent because I was getting questions from people, what's, what's the big deal about religious activity then? What's the big deal about good works? And so we looked at one of the parables that uh, Jesus taught in Mark chapter 4, and uh, in that parable, towards the end, he said that the, the gospel, the, the word, is sown into the hearts or laid into the heart of a person. The person receives it in. And those that, re, that hear it and accept it, and that word accept means to accept in, to bring in. It has this idea of penetrating the mind, not just an intellectual assent that there was such a person as Jesus who died on the cross. But you understood that the spiritual ramification of that is that it needed to penetrate into your heart. And he says when that happens, you bear fruit. And what he's talking about there is that salvation, or good works, is not for salvation. It's because of salvation. Okay? There, nobody who comes into the Bierga family is going to try to act like a Bierga. That's me. That's my last name, by the way. Bierga. That's how you pronounce it. The J's the Y. So if I were, you know, my kids, it's kind of hard, but, you know, my kids act like a biurga because they're part of my family we do good works we do religious things if you want to call it that have religious activity in our lives because we're part of God's family but we have to be that first and that's where Jesus Christ comes in Jesus Christ is the is the way we are brought into his self his relationship with him into his family well this morning I want to finish up our series. And we're going to tie it in here, of course, with, with the resurrection. And since it's Easter, we want to make sure we do that. And uh, those of you who know me um, know this, maybe, Bobby, but those of you who are first time attenders, um, you know, during the week, I, I, I try to look at God's Word and I like to try to put, uh, you know, rubber meets the road. You know, I want to make it practical. I want to make it so that we understand. I'm not talking way up here, but we're talking, how does this impact my life on Monday morning? And, and so I just had some questions running through my mind, and um, these questions, uh, you know, hopefully they don't come across rude, um, but like, first of all, of all the Sundays in the year, why do so many people look at Easter as the Sunday they need to be at church? Now, what, what is that? What, what is it that causes people to say, oh, I may not go to church all the time, but Easter, boy, Easter, I need to be there to There's something about Easter that's even in the hearts of people who may not typically go to church or have no relationship with church, but it keys in. And I'm guaranteeing it's not chocolate eggs, because we don't have any. I'm sorry. We probably should have given you guys some chocolate eggs. That would have been nice. Certainly would have kept you awake while I'm teaching. Um, And then I started thinking, well, maybe for some people, they think, well, if I go and I kind of check in with God, you know, keep that going for another year. You know, I want to make sure things are good with God. Or the other one is maybe we want to keep things good with mom. You know, mom invited me. I want that roast. So I'm coming. And I'm going to go to church. That'll be good. Right? Does it really matter whether some guy named Jesus lived on this earth and died on a cross? and rose again does it does it really matter what would have happened if he didn't what would have happened if if Jesus lived the life that he lived died a horrific death but never rose from the dead i'm sure there's a bunch of different things that could have happened I've come up with three just to keep the message you know, within a two-hour framework um, that we have this morning. Right? Two hours? That's what we got, right? The first one is this. It would have proved that Jesus wasn't God. Right? You following me? It would have it proved that Jesus was not God. He would have been like any other religious leader, philosopher, teacher, who said a bunch of good things, but then when it was all said and done, he died. The way he died was horrific. It was sad. It was terrible. But still, he died. And other people actually died on the cross before. Other men died. Other criminals died on the cross The way he died wouldn't have gained a following because he, he died a criminal's death. And it would have confirmed what others said about him, possibly that he was mentally deranged and that what others said, that he wasn't God. i got a few verses here for you. I just want to share with you. First of all, this is, this is kind of crazy, but Jesus' own family thought that early on in his ministry, especially, thought that he was mentally deranged. Did you know that? His family was seeing what he was doing uh, heard what he was teaching, understood what he was claiming, they're like, okay, wait a second. It says this, and he came home, and, and the crowd gathered again to such an extent that he couldn't even eat a meal. <laughs> I'd be a little bit upset. Um, if I'm eating a meal, you know, back off, because it could be a dangerous thing for you, by the way. you got a knife and a fork. I can really use it well, by the way. I was uh, raised in a family of five boys. I'm the youngest, so I am like ninja with those things when I'm eating. But it's just I mean, my brothers are bigger, older. You know, they could have attacked. I defended. My mom helped. Um, anyways, it says, When his own people heard this, they went out to take custody of him, for they were saying he has lost his senses. And if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, that would have been confirmed, because who in the right mind claims to be God? Right? I mean, if you guys started claiming to me that you were God, I'd be, you know, concerned. It would be a scary thing. In John 10, Jesus promised and said that he was going to die. He says, for this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. He's talking about the resurrection. No one has taken it from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. So the religious leaders ultimately weren't the ones who put him on the cross. The Roman authorities didn't put him on the cross. Jesus gave himself up. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from my Father. And then the religious leaders, later on in that passage, Jesus says, I and the Father are one. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. So if you're sitting here this morning and you're saying, well, I don't really believe that Jesus was God. Um, the Jewish leaders, well, that Jesus didn't claim to be God. The Jewish leaders knew he was claiming to be God. So either Jew, uh, Jesus is uh, God or he's a liar or he's a lunatic is, is how some people have phrased it. So, the Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I showed you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you stoning me? The Jews answered, For a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy, and because you, being a man, make yourself out to be God. So if if Jesus claimed to be God and said he was going to die, and then said he was going to rise from the dead, and then didn't rise from the dead. It just makes sense. It's logical sense that he's actually not God. And if that's the case, the second point is true. We wouldn't be here this morning. I mean, we wouldn't be in a Christian church. We wouldn't be, you know, making sure we all look good and got our hair all ready and got our Easter garb on. I even wore an Easter type of shirt for you today. Thank you. Appreciate that. Oh appreciate that. I'm, I don't want to see who actually said it, but thank you. Um, <laughs> yeah, we, we wouldn't be here. There's no reason for us to be worshiping somebody who just died on a cross, who, you know, maybe taught a few things. Religions have been built on men who um, worshiped some sort of God. There are, obviously, religions today built on what men think a God is or, or how we should worship that particular God. But those guys, uh, if you read their stories, they were pretty passionate about what they believed. And they, they were committed to the point of death, many of them. Not the disciples, right? <laughs> what was up with the disciples? Peter, I don't know. I don't know, I don't know Jesus. No, nope. three times, I don't know Jesus. Judas, he gave Jesus up and then killed himself. The rest of the disciples went and hid. Now, we think about the disciples once they're apostles, but we need to think about the disciples prior to Christ rising, and if Christ never rose from the dead, they're still the disciples hiding in a room because they're not about to go out and show their face in front of the religious leaders because they might end up on the cross. There's no reason for them to start this Christian movement, this Christ-following group of people. They're not the kind of people that start a religion, and certainly not one that lasts for over 2,000 years. And the last would be this. If you still chose to do some sort of religion, we would be enslaved to that religion. Because what religion is, is man's concept, man's plan, man's idea about how I can get to God or to whatever God it is that I'm worshiping. And so man thinks, okay, that, this is the kind of God I'm worshiping, this is what he expects, and so I'm going to do some things. And depending on the religion, it would depend on what is actually done. But what that does in our own hearts, and our own minds, I've talked to people who are wrapped up in religion and they missed the point of a relationship with God is that we never know for sure, does my, are my good things outweighing the bad things that I do? Is my ability to follow the law, the guidelines, the religious teachings, whatever you want to call them, is it good enough or is my bad going to outweigh that and, and I'm going to end up separated from whatever God it is that I'm worshiping? And if you've lived that life, you know that That breeds inside of you fear and guilt and uncertainty. And I know some people who have become embittered towards God, the God of the Bible, because they think that's what God wants, and certainly have become embittered towards other gods that they think they should be worshiping. It's a scary place to be. It's a sad place to be. It's it's not a place that you have to be, because the reality is, Jesus did rise from the dead. And because of that, a bunch of things have happened, and I'm just going to focus again on three, kind of going with what we've already talked about, that it proves that Jesus is God. Because again, in John 10, we could go all the passages, but let's just stick with the one, some of the verses we've looked at. It says, No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down. Talking about his life. I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. Jesus predicted that he would die, and it happened. He predicted that he would die at the hands of the religious leaders, and it happened. And he predicted that he would rise again, and it happened. Later in John 10, Jesus is again challenging the religious leaders. He says, if I do not do the works of my Father, do not believe me. But if I do them, though you do not believe me, believe the works. So you may know and understand the Father is in me, and I in the Father. Again, believe that I'm God. If nothing else, watch my works. But look what happened. In Matthew, it talks about something that the religious leaders chose to do. So Jesus has risen. It says this, When they had assembled with the elders and consulted together, They gave a large sum of money to the soldiers and said, You are to say his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. Makes no sense. The disciples are hiding. (laughs) They're not going to do anything more to cause any more problems with the religious leaders. They're not going to come and steal Jesus' body away. It makes no sense. And this should come to the governor's ears. We will win him over and keep you out of trouble. And they took the money... And did as they had been instructed, and the story was widely spread among the Jews, and it is to this day. The Jewish leaders knew Jesus had risen from the dead. The soldiers knew that he had risen from the dead. They just wanted to keep it on the down low. Let's just lie about it. Let's just keep it between us, and we'll just say the disciples stole it. But there's no way they would have stolen him, hidden. They were too afraid. Another impact of the resurrection is uh, that we're here today. See how that works? Second point or first. We're here today. We're celebrating his resurrection. Why? Because the disciples who had heard all about what Jesus had taught, when they saw the risen Christ, Jesus spent another 40 days with them. And he reminded them all that he had taught for those three years. And and now it was all starting to click. Oh, that makes sense. Oh, that's why he he could walk on water. Oh, that's why he could heal somebody. Oh, that's, he's God. He's actually God. And he actually is going to do what he says he's going to do. And he wants us to help him do that. And that is bring God's kingdom to the hearts of men. to, To get mankind restored in a relationship with God through faith in Christ. After Jesus ascended, he sent the Holy Spirit into them. And the Holy Spirit empowered them and gave them boldness. This is a cool passage in, in Acts. So, the, the, the book of Acts gives us the spread of Christianity um, throughout the known world of the day. And in Acts 4, some of the disciples, Peter and John, they're arrested. And, and be, they're being intimidated by the religious leaders. Don't continue preaching Jesus. Stop doing that. And they're intimidating them. But it says this. Now as they, the religious leaders, observed the confidence of Peter and John. You remember the guys, Peter who denied Jesus, John and the others who were hiding, staying away from the religious leaders? That they saw the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated Which, by the way, I love that one. (laughs) Uneducated, untrained, I feel just so much part of their life. Um, Anyways, they were amazed and began to recognize and recognize them as having been with Jesus. The change that happened in the disciples' life because Christ rose from the dead was seen in other people's eyes. They noticed the confidence. They noticed the understanding that they had. They noticed that these guys who were untrained, many of them fishermen, some of them are tax collectors, those who, by the way, used to be some of the outcast and inferior ones, could articulate Jesus' teaching on a level with these religious leaders. And they're like, obviously, they've been with Jesus. And their commitment to the one who died and rose for them the one who made them right with God, the one who caused them to have their sins forgiven, to to be filled with God's Holy Spirit, brought about what we have today, and that is churches that are filled on Sunday morning worshiping Jesus Christ, the one who rose from the dead. The final impact of the resurrection is that he freed us from religion. And really, it's not just from religion. It's from anything that would keep us from understanding who Christ is. He freed us from sin. He freed us from death. And we're going to do something a little different this morning. We're going to turn over to Ephesians chapter 2. It's not going to be up on the screen. I just want everybody to grab a Bible. There's some there in a pew rack in front of you. It's page 1170, if you're using that Bible. I think it's important for you guys and for me to have God's Word open and, and be able to look at these Uh, particular passage, this is my favorite passage, as it talks about the importance of the resurrection, even though it's later on in, in the New Testament, something Paul wrote. And we're going to be looking at these things while you're looking for it. As I said before, religion is man's plan for us to get to God. Relationship is God's plan for us to get to him. And I know that for some of you who are sitting here this morning, that you have been taught things in church, Um, you know, it it might have been, uh, you know, a mainline denominational Christian denominational church, it may have been some sort of offshoot, it might have been some sort of denomination, I don't know, you've been to church, you've been around church, you've heard things. You understand certain things. I grew up in a church. Literally, I was born one Sunday, I was in a church next, and it could have been that I was born in a church. I don't know. Um, all I know is I go, when I was younger, I'd go back and all the ladies who used to change my diaper, oh, Harold's back, oh, we change your diaper. Thank you. Thank you very much. I mean, it all happens to everybody, right? But it's just a little more embarrassing when they're yelling it down the hallway. And so I want to get us back to what God's word says. I want to get us back to what Jesus taught Paul, for instance, and wants us to understand. There's a reason why Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. There's a reason why God put on flesh, lived a perfect life, died on the cross, and rose again. There's a reason for that. And it wasn't for a man to come along and say, oh, okay, cool teaching. Let me kind of change it and make it around, and then we'll make it something about me somehow getting my relationship with God started because of something that I do, some activity. There's no religion or no religious ritual in that statement. So let me... Walk us through this very quickly this morning. So Ephesians 2, we're going to look at 1 through 10. We're going to do it fairly quickly. I know you might be thinking, oh boy. We're going to work through it very quickly. 1 through 3, I'm going to put on my little my specs here real quick. 1 through 3 says this. Now he's talking to people who have already accepted Christ as their Savior, and he's reminding them where they came from. So for some of you, this is where you came from. For others of you, this is where you're at right now. It says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the ear, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too, all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh. Those of us who have accepted Christ, we used to be this way. We're not anything special those of us who accepted Christ as our Savior, those who have done it, we're not anything special. Okay? We, we just, we got it and we accepted Christ's offer of salvation. So he says we're indulging the desires of the flesh of the mind and we're by nature children of wrath even as the rest. What he's saying here is the sin, that's, the sin that Satan committed by saying I want to be God and I want to do, I want to do life my way, Is the sin that all of us live by. He's not saying we're necessarily no, he's not saying we're Satanists, okay? I mean there are people who are, but he's not necessarily saying that. What he's saying is all of us want to do life our way. We want we want to be the king of the castle. We want to be the one in charge of our life. And so what happens is is that people have taken what Jesus says and they've taken it and molded it and moved it and made it so that Man now has, yeah, yeah, faith in Jesus, but I have to do some things so that I can make sure that I am saved. But that doesn't work because we are spiritually dead. I use this example all the time. If I had a dead person up here, we're all thankful that I don't. But if I did, there would be no relationship here. That person couldn't do anything to have a relationship with me because they're dead. That's what we need to get into our hearts, actually into our minds and into our hearts, to realize that without Jesus Christ, without what Jesus did on the cross and his rising from the dead, we remain, no matter how religious we might think we are or how good we might think we are or how we don't even need religion, we're stuck spiritually dead. That needs to be fixed. That needs to be corrected because without that, we're children of wrath. In other words, we're, we're going to receive God's wrath because God can't have sin in his presence. But then chapter, uh, verse 4 says this, 4 through 7. But God, but God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Biblical love Uh, Agape love is looking out for the best of somebody else no matter what it might cost you. Okay? God loved you. God loved me. God was looking out for your best and for my best no matter what it cost him. What it cost him was the death of Jesus Christ. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, even as we're laying here dead spiritually, without any way to respond to God, without any way of even... You know, paying attention to God. What does he do? Made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up. That's the resurrection, people. Jesus defeated sin and death and rose from the dead. And if we give our lives to Christ and we say, I want what Christ did, I want that to impact my sin and remove my sin and establish a relationship with God... Because he rose from the dead, and we make that decision, it's as if we've already raced to, you know, to heaven. Okay? So the security and certainty of heaven is there, but there is spiritual life put into us. And he seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. It's as if we're already in heaven. So that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Jesus because God is rich in mercy because of his incredible grace I don't care what you've done here this morning sin wise I don't care how bad the life is God doesn't care how bad your life is I, I talked to a friend of mine one time he's, he's not a follower of Christ and uh, he said well I'm done, God's done with me and I said well let me ask you something have you killed any Christians and he's like what? no I'm no, seriously have you killed any Christians lately? he's like no well, Paul did. The guy we're reading right here, right now, prior to coming to Christ, was killing Christians. And God still saved him. Because that's the incredible love that God shows. It's incredible love and mercy and grace. But it's something that God does for us. It's something that God puts into our lives. It's it's something that God breathes into us in a spiritual level. And then, 8 and 9 says this, for by grace you have been saved through faith, saved through works. No, saved through faith, faith in Jesus Christ, belief in Jesus Christ and his works. Not of your, not a, and that not of yourselves is a gift of God, not as a result of works that no one may boast. If we could earn our way to heaven, it wouldn't be a gift. We can't, But if we could, it would be be something we earned. It wouldn't be a gift. And there'd be no reason for Paul to tell us it was a gift, but it's a gift because we can't do it. And then verse 10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, so we would walk in him. Verse 10 is the good works. Verse 10 is the religious rituals, whatever you want to call them. Verse 10 are the things that we do to know who God is, to worship God, to make him known to others. But we don't do that for salvation. Chapter, or verse 10 comes after verse 9. We do it because then we are created in Christ Jesus. And that word workmanship is pretty cool. It, it means masterpiece. Again, I'm not sure where you guys are at and what you might think of yourself. You give your life to Christ, you are a masterpiece. Because He's gonna take you and He's gonna mold you and transform you and and empower you and, and you're you're gonna see changes in your life. You're gonna understand things in a different way. You're gonna see life and you're gonna be able to handle your circumstances and a wisdom that only He can give you. You're gonna power through those things and you're gonna it's just gonna be an incredible thing. And people are gonna go, Wow, what is go what are you what's going on with your life? It's just totally different. Well, let me tell you about the, ma- the one who's created the masterpiece. Let me tell you about the artist. Let me tell you about the potter who's molding and sculpting this piece of pottery and clay. We do good works not to earn salvation. We don't do good works to help Jesus secure our salvation. We do it to show who... Jesus is and what he's done in our lives. Again, I don't I don't know why you're here this morning. I'm glad you're here. (laughs) I don't know if you're here because you felt like, man, I need to make sure that I I checked in with God and and I'm good to go for another year. I don't know if you're here because you want to make sure things are good with mom, and I appreciate it if, if you did. You know, I'm sure she appreciates it. Or a family member or a friend invited in. Appreciate you doing that. I know why I'm here and why many others are here. We're here because we're worshiping Jesus Christ, who is God in the flesh, who lived a perfect life, who died a horrific death. But here's the key thing. When he died, he did everything necessary to take my place to take my sin away to take your sin away he died the eternal death in hell for us I could never do that I would remain in hell for an eternity because I can't repay that I can't again breathe spiritual life into me but Jesus made it possible for us to have our sin forgiven because he died in our place. He is our substitute. And then, after three days, he rose again and he defeated sin and death. He was a victor over that. He satisfied God's wrath and now he's able to give us the spiritual life that we need once our sins are removed. Jesus said that, he is the way, the truth, and the life. And when he meant that, he's our spiritual life. And if we want to get to God, if we want to have a relationship with God, if we want to know that we're going to go to heaven one day, it comes through faith in what Jesus did on the cross, and that alone. Now, if you're here this morning, you've made that decision in the past? That's awesome. I only got one bit of challenge for you this morning. You are now a masterpiece that God has created in Christ. Your purpose when you are here and when you leave here and when you go to work or you go to school or wherever you're going to go tomorrow morning is that you walk into a child of God. You walk in as a masterpiece. Not arrogant. You know, a masterpiece doesn't have an attitude, right? It just sits there and looks beautiful. Beautiful. We go in and we represent Christ. And we we tell people who He is and, and why we are the way we are is because of what Jesus has done for us. If you're here this morning, and maybe you've heard this before, you know, you've been to other Easter services and you've heard this, or maybe this is the first time you've heard this, I want to challenge you to receive the gift that God is offering you. God's offering you a relationship with Him. He's offering to remove your sin. He's offering to put his Holy Spirit into you. To help you through this life. To fight the battles that are in this life. And when you die physically, to take you to heaven one day. And it all comes through Jesus Christ. And simply placing our faith, our trust in him. So I guess to close our Eyes and bow our heads, and I just want to give you an opportunity to make that decision. Uh, it doesn't take me praying for you, it doesn't take me laying hands on you. This is just you between you and God. It's a personal decision that you're going to make. Well, what I'd like to do is I'd like to lead you in a prayer because obviously to receive a gift from someone you have a conversation with them and and i would just like to maybe give you a little bit of a help on as to what the conversation would look like but it's really if you believe this in your heart and you're trusting this and you're trusting in Christ that's the important part I'm just giving you some words that might help verbalize that and just simply this your heart to God's heart just say heavenly father i know i'm a sinner and that i'm spiritually dead And I, I'm trusting and believing that Jesus died for my sins and will give me spiritual life. And so I'm trusting in Christ, in Christ alone, for my salvation. And I thank you for your forgiveness. I thank you for your salvation. And if Just keep your eyes closed and heads bowed. If you've prayed that prayer this morning for the first time, again, if you've prayed this prayer, you've been saved and the Bible talks about being adopted into God's family and you're a child of God. If you've prayed that sincerely in the past, but this is the first time you've done that, I'd just like to have you raise your hand so I can just see that and and pray for you. We also have a little um, little gift that has some material in it to help you understand what, what you've done there. But if you've accepted Christ as your Savior this morning. Just go ahead and raise your hand real quickly and put it back down. Let's go ahead and stand. Let's uh, close in prayer and I'll let you guys head on to your Easter lunches and, uh, and continue to celebrate Christ as a family. Lord, we want to thank you again for this morning. Thank you so much for um, the incredible gift that you've given us. And I think, Lord, sometimes um, it, it's so incredible we can't wrap our minds around it. Um, we want things to be more complicated, I think, at times. But it is simple, really. And so, Father, I pray that those here who maybe aren't ready to, to make that decision, um, you know who they are. You know what needs to happen in their lives for them to understand that. And so I pray that you would... Do whatever it takes to get their eyes on you, to turn to you and trust you in what you say, that you've done everything. You're, you're the only one who could die an eternal death for every person, including me and each one here, because you're God. So Lord, confirm that in the hearts of those that are here. Make that clear to others who are here that need to make it clear. And we'll be sure to give you the praise and glory in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thanks again for being with us. Have a great rest of the day and week, and we'll see you back next week.